0: Outlined how accounting practices commonly discussed did
1: not. What kind of likeness is that? Feature. If they were great artists, they will be in a museum. I'm, I'm fucking farted for cartoonists, cartoonists now. Cartoonists now.
2: Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast about the ins and outs the highs and the very deep endless lows of making comics. I'm your host JB with my co-host Cam. Today Mm -hmm. we're joined by Jen Woodall, prominent Toronto-based cartoonist who recently announced their newest book on Oni called Space Trash. But before we get into our interview... We've got some news to cover. Uh, Let's see here. Breaking news. Uh, uh, Fucking uh, what? Ditko Estate is trying to sue Disney to get uh, the money that they're owed uh, for creating a bunch of money making characters like Spider-Man. Doctor uh, Strange. Iron Man. uh, Doctor Strange. Iron Man. (laughs) Com God. (laughs) N-Word Man.
0: N-Word. Like he's really in touch with himself. That's-
2: N-word yes, n yes, yes. And uh, us, other such beloved characters in the Marvel Universe. And as uh, expected, some really uh, adult people are being very angry online about this because uh, if if Ditko's estate wins, then that means no more Spider-Man movies. And all, no more Spider-Man games. Yeah,
0: like, they're just being fucking babies about it, being like, Ditko better not win the rights to his creations, you know, because <laughs> then we don't get <laughs> yeah, entertainment. Yeah. And it's kind of just like- one, like, fucking get your head out of your own ass, and, like, two, this could probably all go away if Marvel cuts a check and gives X amount to the estate, like, which they should be doing what, in I the mean, first place. Like
2: <laughs> That's what'll happen if they win the case. It's not like Disney's just going to be like, oh, well, Dicko won, so I guess we're never going to- no, dude, they're going to cut them the check, and then they'll just make the shit again. Like, that's- <laughs> how fucking stupid are you? Yeah. Like, fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> And other breaking the, news. By them winning the lawsuit, <laughs> then that means they would be required to cut the check.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was going to. It's th-
2: not like they would have no access to these fucking characters, dude. It's <laughs> right. Like, I don't, yeah, man. I, we should have actually saved a bunch of these tweets because some of them are just like, I <laughs> words cannot begin to describe some of this shit.
0: Like truly, like, you know, we joke around like, oh, fucking man babies. But truly, there's no other word to describe this. Like people whining online being like, what do you mean? No more Spider-Man games. If they get the estate, that means no more movies, no none- and it's just like shut the fuck up like it's fucking honestly there's no other word for it besides a word that i can't say (laughs) don't leave that in
2: (laughs) edit that out edit that out don't leave that in no that's staying no don't leave that (laughs) the word cam is uh avoiding to say is rascals Yes. And, uh, you know, we here at the Gutter Boys understand that the rascal community does not appreciate being denigrated. No, we're we're not leaving any of that that in. That's way
0: too – you know what? They'll know what we mean. (laughs) We're
2: not. No. No. (laughs) No, we will no Uh. longer refer to people as rascals in a negative connotation. That is disrespectful to rascals Mm -hmm. and we just won't stand for it. So, don't worry about it.
0: In other comics news, from a 1997 New York Times uh, interview with Quentin Tarantino, the New York Times asked Tarantino, Nick Cage is about to play Superman. Which superhero would you want to be? And Tarantino replied, that's tough. Long pause. I think I'd be Luke Cage, the black superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my man don't miss. Yeah, for everybody, you know, questioning this behavior, my man stayed real. Did you see the article about Tarantino and how he doesn't give his mom any money at all? No. (laughs) No. So this motherfucker, so uh, it pretty much boils down to like, there was like an an interview where he straight up said, I have not given my mom a single cent that I've made off my filmmaking career. And like, it's because when they were younger or when he was younger, she was like, you're never going to make it as a writer. So he's so spiteful that he's never given her a dime from his writing money. Damn. Except to help her out with the IRS one time. So. All right. Respect. Yeah. So (laughs) true to his word, a man of honor, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> we uncovered some Flickr accounts <laughs> oh yeah that's
2: right <laughs> uh, so uh well you know one of them is not that interesting it's just kind of like whatever like fucking 2000 mid, like the mid to late 2000 sucked we get it yeah chip I'm sure is a decent guy, but I definitely get some like uh eye emoji vibes from him. <laughs> uh
0: yeah, dude. So, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and publicly talk about this, okay? So, there's right. this yeah, child yeah. named Hagai. I think he's like oh, 20 right. now. I think he's like 20, okay? But he's been posting No, but he was
2: not 20 about uh, when yes. the shit we're about to talk about happened. Yeah.
0: So, uh Hagai is a H A G A I. And Hagai, this is no disrespect. I don't know you. I don't Follow you, but he's like a comics writer that a lot of mainstream comics Twitter personalities seem to have latched onto. He's like twenty or twenty one now, which like, you know, whatever, we hang out with Jasper and Nate, but we didn't start hanging out with them until they were adults. And we didn't even know about them until like, you know, a year ago. So what I'm getting at though is um <laughs> This Hagai kid has been calling Chip Zdarsky daddy (laughs) online for like five years. So, you do the math there, folks, if he's like 20 now. (laughs) And like a lot. Like you just search like his name. daddy. <laughs> You're gonna find a lot of troubling tweets. Um, it still happens today uh, but also you know there was like photos like of uh, a guy meeting Chip when he was definitely a minor and like Chip had signed a uh, a sex criminals hardcover that said like to my son you know and it's like dude first off a child should not have sex criminals. <laughs> a very explicit yeah. book. So yeah. yeah I'm not saying Zadarski's done anything but Eye emojis for sure. And also about this Hagai kid, uh, there's like articles that were written that were like, why Hagai is one of the most positive forces in comics Twitter. And it was all these grown ass adults, people that you would recognize <laughs> that work at DC and Marvel. I emoji, I emoji, I yes, emoji. And they were just like, he just brings such a positive, refreshing take to the comics Twitter scene. And it's like, he's a fucking child, guys. Like, literally was a child until recently. But you all have been like reply guying this kid for like five or six years. And the thing is, is he's probably going to, you know, make it at Marvel and DC because he has these connections. But in typical Gutter Boys fashion, we see you groomers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 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 If we die, that's because Comics Illuminati, which is the people that like a guy, came yeah, it's after us. Uh Matt Fraction
2: broke into our house
0: and <laughs> with his uh he he uh, traveled with his hundred and twenty thousand dollar uh PPP loan from the government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In his night armor made of gold <laughs> mm-hmm. and diamonds. That's what these like dumbass fucking comics brain people like spend their money on. Like, oh, I need a hundred and twenty thousand dollar loan from the government so I can buy D C Select statues. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) i mean honestly respect no yeah like every time but it's like dude all those people have the same fucking offices like whichever mine kind of looks the same but it's like you can tell when like the comic creators have money because like they just have like every 400 hundred dollar batman statue for no reason behind their desk you know like I don't know. It seems like a thing I see with these mainstream comics people. But yeah, like you said, respect. I buy a bunch of toys. So, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, I have no room to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, speaking, speaking of, toys, of toy talk, do Yeah, have, uh, look at us. <laughs> nice. Uh, we, got okay. that, we got that Patreon
2: money-making brain on together. <laughs> uh, speaking of toys, we have a bonus episode lined up with a friend of the show, Nick Farrell. If you are into toy collecting or, you know, pop culture in general, you might know who he is. Uh, he is a uh, producer and editor and also uh, an artist and toy collector. He's uh, he's worked on many Netflix shows recently, including uh, The Movies That Made Us, The Toys That Made Us, and uh, uh, another show, it's not on Netflix, but it's called uh, A Toy Store Near You, which highlights uh, local toy shops from across the world, but uh, really sweet dude, uh, has a deep Love for toys, like myself. So uh, we're going to be talking to him uh, in depth, just about that. Something to kind of mix it up. That isn't just comics related for our patrons. And if you want to check out that episode, it'll be airing uh, next week. You'll just uh, need to make sure that you uh, hit that subscribe or uh, hit that. What is that called? Pledge five oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. dollars. Just, know just what make sure. Uh, just make sure you're you're a patron by then.
0: Yes, this is going to be. You know, a lot of you all have said, "Hey, we like the toy talk on the Patreon stuff." Which sometimes there's a little. Sometimes there's a lot so this is for you all and yeah you can subscribe at gutterboys.top or patreon.com forward slash gutterboys and shout out to our friend philip myra philip uh bought us the url of gutterboys.top and we just did the shirt with brian mccray so he bought us another url and dm'd us it is gutterboys.shop so any future merchandise uh from the gutterboys will be available at gutterboys.shop as well so thank you again philip you're a real one man
2: Uh, in other news, the day we've all been waiting is upon us and has actually come and passed, folks. That's right. The Many Saints of Newark has dropped on HBO Max. It did. And, uh. Yes. As expected, you know the boys watched it and uh, we got a lot of feelings about it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, We're just gonna give a very brief, you know, kind of spoiler free, because this is gonna air two days after the movie comes out. But uh, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up, two thumbs up,
2: 4.5 out of 5. Uh, What about you? Uh, I usually do out of 10. And so I'm gonna give it an 8 out of 10. It's a little high, not gonna lie. Realistically, probably should be more like a seven, maybe a seven and a half. Yeah, but fuck it, I'm feeling generous, uh-huh. and uh, I got I got I got the good vibes in me. Yeah, uh, I got I got Saint Dicky on my mind, so yep. you know I'm I'm just gonna have to you know give respect where respect is due. I guess
0: if you take my score and double it to get the ten point score, I'm going nine out of ten. And like you said, realistically, this movie is a seven out of ten. But it's like one of the only times where I'm just like, you know what, the fan service was there, and I'm here for it. Right. A lot of the times that shit is like not done well and it's really corny. Like you look at movies like Ready Player One or some stupid shit like that and it's like I don't give a fuck about this but David Chase, chef's kiss, respect.
2: Yeah, the god Chase can do no wrong at this point.
0: I think we're going to do a- a Mex Flintio appearance uh, where we discuss the many saints of Newark uh, with them. So, you know, it's a two hour movie for people that equates to an eight hour episode, probably. But yeah, be on the lookout for that. It might be on our Patreon. It might be on their feed. But I think we're going to do that in the next couple weeks.
2: Yeah, very, very good. Uh, we can't get too into detail about it, unfortunately. Yes. That We're going to take, you up. Guys that would take up the whole episode.
0: Yeah, we'll give you a little bit of time to watch it, too. But uh, you yeah, should watch you know it.
2: Digest on it. Sit on it there, you know?
0: Yeah. And I will say this, because I know there are some of our listeners that uh, started watching Sopranos because of us. Do not watch the movie if you haven't finished the series, because it's going to spoil a fuck ton of shit in the first minute. So it is a prequel, but watch the series first. You're going to get a lot more from it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, read a Wikipedia article or something to get a gist of every story arc from the last seven seasons of that show yeah and then Uh, uh, but no i mean realistically you should be watching it i i don't know what to tell you
0: you can make a comic after reading the article called soprano's family tree
2: well i mean i don't know about you but uh i have wanted to make a comic anthology just all these different soprano stories Yeah, that'd be sick.
0: We need to do that. Speaking of anthologies, we've been talking about it for a year, but we really are not lying this time. (laughs) Gutter Magazine is pretty much done. It's on, baby. It's on. It's done. Like the last contributor is sending their pages over this weekend. It's over. Now, here comes the debate. Do we wait until after the holiday season to launch it? I don't know. We're going to internally talk about this stuff, but the work is done. It's coming out. It just has to be put together. And now we just got to talk game plan. So it's done.
2: Yeah. I still got to finish my story, though. So you know you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's besides us. It's done. So uh, we carry the burden. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, yeah, we officially carry yeah, the burden yeah, yeah. now. It is going to be really good. Uh, I know we've been talking about it forever, but it's going to be really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, the lineup is Chef's Kiss fucking on point, so I'm really excited for it. Yeah.
0: All righty. And to be honest, we did get some packages, uh, but we're not going to do shout outs this episode. I've been kind of busy just with some life changes around my house, aka getting a job and just having to balance life in a job again, which sucks ass. Uh, So I've got a bunch of unopened packages sitting in my uh, living room right now. But shout outs will return next episode if you did send us something we didn't forget about you.
2: Oh, yeah. And actually, one last shout out. Got in the mail my copy from Jay Gonzo's Kickstarter for La Mano del Destino. The Lucha Libre action comic. People that have been following his work know that he's had single issues of these available for, I don't know, probably the last four or five years. It's been an ongoing series. And he's finally gone around to collecting them in one super thick book under his own publication, Castle and Key Publications. What's nice about it is it is bilingual. So one side is in English and you flip it over and the other side is in Spanish. Uh, So I highly recommend picking this up if you like wrestling and even if you don't like wrestling if you just like really thoughtful well-made comics that are designed top to bottom extremely well this is something you'll want to keep an eye out for uh jay Gons is a, an amazing artist a really really smart designer uh so i'm really excited to have this hell yeah that uh that about does it for the uh first half so let's uh let's get right into our lovely lovely interview with uh jen woodall before we do that we're gonna take a quick break so stay tuned Floodland brings together a series of personal and natural disasters featured in comics by Australian cartoonist and cult hero Jonathan McBurney. Beginning with the protagonist's chronic illness, it relates a long period of bizarre artistic practices, awkward art school relationships, the brutal reality of the 9 to 5 grind of the submerging artist, and culminates in the massive flood in his hometown. The peripheral characters whose lives orbit the same places and occasionally overlap through mundane circumstances include Batskiat, an artist come superhero whose successes are vastly out of proportion with his talents, Picasso Minotaur, a brawny beefcake sculptor with fire in his belly and hate in his heart, and Kirby Kelly, a hapless and constantly flummoxed experiment gone wrong. Floodland is a 96-page hardcover available from arglebarglebooks.com. Check out McBurney.com and king underscore of underscore nails on Instagram for more beefcake, wrestling, and existential conundrums. Read them and weep, boys. <laughs> Talk about a winning hand. All of my disturbing, revolting brilliance is now available on my Tales from the Crypt Trading Cards. Scandalous scenes, gory details, they're all here in deadly color. Collect the complete set. Your friends will just die of envy. (laughs) Now, back to our program. And welcome back from the break. Today we're joined by Toronto, Ontario, Canada-based cartoonist and illustrator uh, Jen Woodall. Jen has been uh, published, uh, well, they have multiple books under their belt at this point with Silver Sprocket, uh, Magical Beatdown, uh, Volumes 1 and 2, as well as Marie and the Worry Wart. They also have, I believe it's an illustration book called Girls, am I right?
1: Yep, that's right.
0: There was two volumes of that, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or was there just a reprint?
1: So originally, it was two mini zines that I Rhizograph printed, and then Avi from Silver Sprocket approached me and wanted to collect it into an art book. So yeah, there's just the one paperback out there that exists, and uh, there's like the old Rhizo editions that I think there's like an edition of one or 200, if I remember right.
2: Yes, yes. And you also did a follow-up called Ghouls, too, if I remember correctly.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I did that last year. Or was it two years ago? Time is it confusing. <laughs> um, it has I think no it meaning. was last yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was like very similar to Girls, where it was like a four-color process Rise of zine. But it was all focused on like spooky monsters in the vein of the original girl zines. And I think that was an addition of 200 we did. Uh, I wanted to expand it out this year, but just I've been too busy. I haven't been able to.
2: Yes, and we're actually going to talk about why you've been so busy. Your newest book, uh, which will be out on Oni, uh, you've been working on that since, well, I guess the beginning of the year when I started seeing some process stuff.
1: Yeah, I've been working on it actually since 2000. I signed the contract in
2: 2018. Oh, shit,
1: okay. Yeah, but uh, I had some pretty significant mental health issues pop up, so I kind of had to put it on the back burner until... Uh, I think I actually got the script finalized in like mid 2020 and then I was finally able to like start thumbnailing then go to pencils, et cetera. But yeah, I've been like drawing it pretty concretely for the past year now, I would say.
2: Awesome. Yeah, I've been been watching it slowly build over the last, uh, I don't know what's been like eight months now, nine months. I can't, again, time doesn't matter. But uh, the new book, Space Trash, uh, which uh, I believe was going to be edited by a friend in the show, Zach Soto. uh, Yeah, Zach is
1: my editor and he's great.
2: Yes. Uh, Super excited for this book. Uh, I had no idea you've been working on it since 2018, but I'm glad it's finally getting out there. So let's talk a little bit about what led up to uh, Space Trash. Now that's going to be a graphic novel, right? Like a young adult book.
1: Yeah. So it's like I guess like teen and young adult are the same thing, but yeah, 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 it's going to be be, interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that demographic. But obviously, anyone who like grew up watching you know anime and sci-fi movies and reading manga, like I did, I think that they'll still really like it as well. So it's like for teens, but also for adults who specifically like. The weird niche things I grew up liking or who just like comics, I guess.
2: Yeah. I mean, you definitely like playing with genre. I mean, I think talking about the stuff you did with ghouls in that Mm -hmm. illustration zine, you clearly have a love for uh, genre. Uh, Now, speaking about mental health, uh, your last book with Silver Sprocket, Marie and the Warrior War, was specifically about anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was this a an comic, o- by the way. Yes, awesome book. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank you. Pretty good. Pretty good. I think I did an okay <laughs> job.
2: It, was that all fiction? Or were there elements of autobio in it?
1: No, it's like completely autobio. I mean, the character okay. doesn't look like me. Uh, I just kind of drew like a stand-in character, but like literally... I think I did like the very first short story for an anthology with my collective friendship edition and people just liked the story so much that I was like okay I'm gonna make a zine that's just all these little stories so I just thought like what are the things that make me really anxious and I just made little strips about those specific things so the zine is kind of about like you know uncertainty when you're kind of out in the world and you know social interactions are, you know, very distressing for very anxious people mm-hmm. and then also that self-comparison that a lot of artists do, you know, so sure. looking at other people especially in social media like yeah. oh i'm too old, i'm not going to be able to make it, like i suck, i'm garbage and all this negative self-talk that becomes really repetitive. So yeah, it's just literally what my brain does. Like a small sampling of what my brain does cuz you know, brains are great at just finding new ways to make you feel miserable. <laughs>
0: amen to that (laughs) you mentioned uh you you just mentioned a french edition what'd you publish over there
1: a french edition
0: is that what you said oh or you're right they speak french in canada right is that what you said you had a french edition and that's where the story came from or did i mishear you
1: Oh, no, sorry. Um, So I'm in a collective in Toronto called Friendship Edition. Friendship so,
0: Edition. I'm sorry, yeah. I thought you meant like no, a translated no, okay. copy. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, okay. no, I
1: mean, I wish. And yeah, like uh, Canada, we do have like a French province, Quebec. So a lot of people do speak French here. Not me, because I'm stupid. <laughs> um, But, you know, so the original strip was for an anthology called Friendship Edition with my fellow Toronto cartoonist friends and... You know, I just did like a little strip about anxiety and that was really where the seed came from. And Mm -hmm. it was mostly because people told me how much they liked it. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll do more about this kind of thing because, you know, I did that strip in like 2014, I think it was. And, you know, awareness around anxiety and mental health wasn't really what it is now. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of thought no one's going to relate to this like weird ass comic because... No one is as anxious as I am. But then I was surprised how many people were like, I'm also very anxious. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to bankroll these anxiety comics.
2: (laughs) Hell yeah. Make them work for you
1: yeah exactly
0: i do want to you know get back into what led up to the new book and everything but just because i'm thinking of the question now all of your previous work that i've seen the stuff that jb mentioned uh, i think i have it all the magical beatdown books you know the anxiety comic it all is very adult you know like uh if i'm not mistaken i believe there's curse words in magical beatdown but there's definitely like over-the-top violence so shifting gears to young adult you know on your new project is that hard for you to do
1: I mean, I don't think so. I think I'm still telling the same type of story that I Mm -hmm. was telling in my other books. I think that the only difference is that, you know, there's less cursing, there's still some, and there's no over-the-top violence. But otherwise, I think the themes are still pretty similar.
0: Hell yeah. And you got a Koyama Provides grant for that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Annie emailed me and uh, basically said that she wanted to uh, support what I was working on and you know, that is currently what I am working on until, you know, I'm done this series. Uh, So yeah, that was really helpful just to like, you know, take care of my rent for a month while I continued to just sit at my desk drawing, you know, incessantly.
0: Totally. Yeah, I think it's really great. You know, I know Annie got out of the publishing game, but it's great that Koyama still has a presence in the scene. And, uh, you know, it seems like everybody that receives those grants are, you know, very appreciative of them, and they're going to the right people. So I thought it was really awesome that uh, I saw them post that you were getting support from them as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but, you know, comics, money is not uh, plentiful <laughs> to <Right>. be had. <laughs> yeah, that's And, an you know, advances yeah. are not really enough to, you know, unless you're working for first second or something like that, I guess, but, Mm -hmm. you know, even then maybe not enough, but just having that like extra support where, you know, you don't have to take on extra freelance gigs. You can just kind of like focus on your work instead of like, okay, how am I going to afford groceries? I got to open commissions. I got to do this and do that. So yeah, it is like so helpful.
0: And are you full-time freelance?
1: Not really. I have a part time job at a comic shop in Toronto, and then I kind of just do freelance the rest of the time.
0: Hell yeah. But yeah. That's the move. It,
1: it works really well because, you know, I like to be able to leave my house and see people occasionally. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shout out to cartoonists working at comic shops.
1: Yes. There are many of us.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a big shout out to Annie for uh, still being there for the comic scene. That's That is very awesome to see.
1: Yes, thank you, Annie. Patron saint of indie cartoonists everywhere.
2: Yeah, for For sure. For real, yeah. We should start selling uh, like prayer candles with Annie on them. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. giving the money back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be great.
2: So uh, going back a little bit, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about how you got into comics in the first place. So like, how did you first start making that turn into comics? Was it like a segue from illustration or did they happen simultaneously or how did that happen?
1: Uh, Well, I actually made comics a lot when I was young. My dream when I was... You know, 10 years old, or however young I was at the time, is I wanted to like move to Japan and make manga because I didn't know anything about it. And then when I got older and I, you know, kind of got disenfranchised, like, I don't want to do fashion, I don't want to do film anymore, but I still love to draw. And then I was like, well, I used to love making comics and I still love to read comics. So maybe I should try just making a comic. And then, uh yeah, I think my first comic was in 2013. And it was like a really tiny little sci fi comic called I333. Zero which is on my gum road but it's terrible Um, (laughs) but it didn't have any dialogue and I think it's like 12 pages but you know I did that and It was really fun. And uh, yeah, I just always loved comics growing up. So I just kind of thought, I think I should just get back into doing this now that, you know, I'm an older person who can tell a story that isn't just like, here's my Sailor Moon OC, do not copy.
0: (laughs) You said you were working in fashion and film. Were you doing like uh, storyboards and illustration work in those avenues or what was going on there?
1: No, um, I actually studied fashion design in university, okay. and so I was like an indie designer, I guess. But by the time I like got my degree, I was like, well, I hate this now, <laughs> so I don't want to do this anymore. And then I you know, used that to kind of foray into the film industry, and I became a designer and a seamstress. And then after four years of that, I was like, this is bullshit. I'm done with this now. And then I decided, you know, let's go back to just drawing, because I still genuinely love doing
2: that yeah that makes sense when you mentioned the the fashion background because i see that in your work so clearly since you have an eye for Mm -hmm. designing clothing for all of your characters and their outfits are all really well put together i don't know how else to you know (laughs) phrase that but uh i agree yeah. yeah that definitely comes out in your in your work in comics
1: yeah, I mean, I think that was why I wanted to go to fashion school, because I just spent my entire high school career like drawing characters and, you know, designing outfits for them. And I was like, oh, I'm good at this. Maybe I should do this in school. And now looking back, it's like, no, I wasn't good at designing clothes for people to wear. I was good at designing characters and I couldn't differentiate between the two. <laughs> ah,
2: okay, okay. Yeah. Well, you made it work because, I mean, uh, every, every uh, character that I've seen you draw whether it be a pinup or a character in a comic, there's always like a thoughtfulness behind the design of each one.
1: Oh, thanks. I mean, yeah, I think fashion, the best thing about it is that it's just like a vehicle for individual self-expression. And I think especially in, you know, a visual storytelling medium, you can use it to tell so much about a character without having to, you know, write dialogue. Like you can kind of explain what their values are, the kind of character they are, what they're interested in doing. So I think it's kind of a really important shorthand to be able to have some, you know, utility of when it comes to making comics.
2: Yeah, totally. That's really on point for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. At least that's what I think. No,
2: I mean, I, yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, that makes sense. It, it definitely beats pages and pages of dialogue just explaining someone's motives and what makes them that character. Yeah. Uh, which is something that we tend to see a lot in the big two. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, just- <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Just someone comes in and they're like, I'm cool and I love sports and this and that. And you're like, well, you could just, like, show me that stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> Instead of having this really pointless dialogue that's not fun to read
2: <laughs> right I, I feel like uh writers get hung up on the uh telling rather than showing but
1: yeah i think so too
2: but you know going back to writing too it's like you you write all your stories uh have you uh, ever collaborated with writers at any point in time or was that just always something that you just really didn't have an interest in
1: there's been a few times where I have worked with writers in the past, but, you know, I'm still kind of trying to get the hang of this whole like time management thing, sure. <laughs> which is a struggle. Um, So just most of them like haven't really panned out where, you know, I wasn't able to kind of get it finished in a reasonable time frame or, you know, something happened, like school came up or work came up, money came up, something came up. But, you know, now at this point, I guess I've just decided that I'm not super interested in working with a writer mm-hmm. like co-creator because i have my own ideas and right. i'm also like a really obsessive controlling person who doesn't really take <laughs> criticism well and who doesn't like to listen mm-hmm. and i'm sure like zach can attest to this where he'll be like maybe you should do this and i'm like i don't want to do that but <laughs> you know I, it's just easier for me to just like go at it on my own i think
2: well, we got your back. If you want to shout down Zach, yeah, go for it. Bury him. Honestly. just like no, like the shovel.
1: he is right, like all the time. It's just no, no. I'm don't a give him
2: ammunition. Asshole. No, no, don't. <laughs> No, no. It's true.
1: Like he'll tell me, like your cover would be better if you did this, and I'm like, I don't think so. But then I'll do it, and I'm like, okay, you were right. I'm just stubborn, and I don't like to listen to people. So it's like you know that balance of trying to stay true to like your idea, but also listening to someone when they're like, this will be better. You just need to stop being so silly and you know actually listen to me
2: yeah I, I feel like it it's difficult at times when you're that close to the work uh, because mm-hmm. th- I, I feel like a, a lot of cartoonists have sort of this distance from their work in a lot of ways but when I see your work I don't really see that like I see very much you being a hundred percent invested in everything that you're doing in all facets of that project
1: yeah, I definitely really don't do anything else when I work on an individual book, like it's probably just like the way my brain is, which is probably not for the best. But you know, I will just like think about it obsessively, like all throughout the day while I'm working on it, I'll have stress dreams about it. So for me, it, it becomes like a very singular focus of this is what I am doing. And then when it's done, I can think of something else. But it's very hard for me to kind of like multitask in that way, because my brain is just completely filled up with ideas and thoughts about this specific thing I'm doing.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. The burden of the artist, (laughs) as they call it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: My silly brain that loves colors and lines.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's another thing, too, is your color palette. Uh, You know, it's pretty consistent across all of your different books and projects. Uh, Was that something that you developed very early on, or was that something that took time as you progress with, you know, one project after the other?
1: No, that definitely took time. I definitely was that person when I kind of like started doing illustration for myself where I would kind of, you know, try to color something and I would just not know where to go and I would end up overworking Mm -hmm. it or putting too many colors in it. And it was just very hard to know like where to kind of keep going and where to pull myself back. So that's definitely like a skill I got a lot better at because my illustration from like, you know, 10 years ago is rough and not not good to look at.
2: (laughs) I feel like every artist has that feeling about their old work though, right? I think so. Yeah,
1: I think so. But I like distinctly remember back then being like, wow, I'm amazing. And I look (laughs) at that art now and I'm like, this is garbage. How did I ever think this was good? Like, I don't even think that I'm that good now. But I had like so much confidence like 10 years ago that is just like, bizarre to me.
2: Eh, Well, you know, fake it till you make it and you made it. So (laughs) (laughs) I think you're all good. Has working with risograph at all uh, helped that process or attributed to sort of how you've been able to come to those decisions when when coloring your work?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that limiting your color palette when you have to do like a risograph print, for example. Mm -hmm. Is a really great exercise in, like, how do I make this, like, a full dynamic image with depth and texture with only, like, these two colors and then kind of learning, like, how can I mix these two? What can I do to kind of, like, create shading and to create shape? It's like a really great exercise that I would kind of advise any artist to kind of like pour into just like doing a risograph print at some point. And I feel like it'll just give you like such a good understanding of how to separate your colors on the computer and how to really consider your colors as well, instead of just like, I'm going to put every single color that I can imagine in this illustration, which is also really beautiful. But I feel like that's like another specific skill in and of itself. And I think having both of those skills is really
2: useful. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you on that. Uh, I think working with Rizzo has helped me make those decisions as well when, you know, selecting palettes and and coloring stuff because I'm not really a big color guy, to be honest. I'm not. I'm always very much more in tune with drawing than I am with coloring.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way, but now I definitely get a lot more joy out of coloring things. Whereas before, I was like, "Oh God, now I have to color." Right. Whereas yeah. now I'm like, "Oh, color! Like this is a chance for me to like bring even more to this piece of art." And I definitely feel like doing so much work on the risograph really helped me to develop that love of the color.
2: Now, uh, so being based in Toronto, what is the scene like there? I know there's a couple of uh, Rizzo publishers out there uh, doing that, mm-hmm. and TCAF's uh, there as well. Yes, TCAF obviously is like a, a huge small press show there. I think it's. I think
0: it is the biggest in North America, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's like ahead of yeah, yeah. SPX. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, in Chicago run. and Short Run in Seattle. For short Run, yeah, 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 which is also another great show, kind of close to Canada, I guess.
1: Very close to the west coast of Canada. Right. Th- yes,
2: the other side of canada yeah <laughs> what uh, what is the scene like uh, i guess from your perspective um like the the types of voices coming from toronto and the types of small press publishers that are coming out from there
1: uh, i actually don't know that many small Presses in Toronto, unfortunately, but yeah, there is like quite a lot of like risograph printers and screen printers and the like. So you know, there's a lot of resources if you want to like get into self publishing your own stuff. There's tons of cartoonists and tons of illustrators. Um, I think just by virtue of being in a big city, so there's a lot of artists. But you know, there's also OCAD where I studied and uh, Sheridan as well, which are two big illustration schools, and they also have a lot of people come through who make comics. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I think it's also just because, you know, Canada, like similarly to the U.S., is like a country made of immigrants. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of different people here with different backgrounds and different influences in their art. So there's like a really huge variety of the type of art that you can engage with here, which is really lovely. And I think that's reflected in the type of comics that you can see. Like I live pretty close to the beguiling which is my favorite comic shop and they just have like an entire wall of like self-published scenes and comics made by locals and you know Canadian artists and even international artists and it's just great to see like all the different influences and kind of approaches people take it's really fantastic like there's quite a big scene for underground cartoonists here as well but you know there's even people who work for like Marvel and DC who live here I think it's like a great city to live in if you know you like comics or make comics.
2: Yeah, no, I've I've been told that it is very similar to Chicago just in terms of like- I
1: can see that. Like,
2: yeah, the scene and the the city and and the types of stuff going on. It's just maybe there's better management with uh, city money (laughs) in Toronto, I imagine. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just people making it work. Like, it's so expensive to live here. Like, you can get grants from, uh, you know, the municipal government Mm -hmm. and the provincial government and even federal government if you're fancy enough. Yeah, But I don't think there's enough because most artists I know are, like, struggling to get by. Yeah. And, you know, mostly people do comics and self-publishing is like, a, you know, it's like a labor of love. They're not really making very much right. on it, but they just do it anyways. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so we're all sick there in the should head. Be,
1: Yeah, exactly. There should be more city money and, you know, provincial money that is supporting the arts. But
2: and you're I saying that in comics, Canada. Yeah. yeah we, I we've I mean, got like, none, by the way. People think
1: of Canada as, like, this socialist hippie commune, and it's like, no. Yeah, I, right wish right. we were more of a socialist hippie <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because we do not value the arts enough here. Like we value them a little bit, but like comics, I'm pretty sure that most people are just like Spider-Man. Like that's yeah. all they think of it when they hear comics.
0: Well, it's it's interesting you say that. Well, because like uh, it seems like, I mean, you know, bigger publishers in Canada, you know, they all like on the inside copyright page, it's like, you know, made in cooperation with the Arts Fund of Canada or whatever. So from an outsider looking in, I thought there was a lot of that like art money going around. So it's actually interesting to hear that that's not the case being an American, I guess, because like you said, everybody thinks that it's a socialist, (laughs) you know, awesome place. Um, But yeah, no. So I mean, like, I just assume that they kind of had their hands in everything. But yeah, it's interesting to hear that they don't.
1: Like, there is definitely money you can get via grants, but from my perspective, I see it happening more for people who already have established careers. Like, I think every time I pick up, like, you know, a DeForge book or a a book that one of the Tamakis worked on, there's usually, you know, a little thing about, you know, getting funding from the Canadian Council of the Arts. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those are people who have, like, very established careers, literary and art careers. I don't know as many people who are, like, independent cartoonists, I guess, who are privy to getting those kind of grants. So that's a little bit frustrating. Like, there's smaller ones you can get, which I've gotten, and that's really helpful. But, you know, those, like, really sizable grants where... You can have your rent taken care of for a while. Those are Mm going to be like a bit harder to get and they're not going to be like as many out there. I'm not like Mm. here to say Canada fucking sucks. I'm just saying like (laughs) more money for the arts and not for like just established, you know, fancy artists. Because some of us are poor and we need money. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we have a very similar problem here. Plus more yeah
1: (laughs) yeah
2: uh, but yeah that's interesting to hear that it's it's not all berries and roses on the other side
1: no definitely not
2: so this is off topic
0: is drake awesome to you or does he suck is he really toronto's very own
1: no i don't like drake
0: (laughs) i figured that i was like i wonder how toronto feels about drake do they really love him as much as he says i
1: mean i don't know anyone who likes drake but I, I don't know, maybe the younger people do. I, I literally have no yeah. idea. I, I'm confused by it. I feel like Drake wants to just be like, everyone in to Toronto loves me. And then everyone in Toronto is just like, yeah, I mean, he's fine, I guess. <laughs> do whatever you want. I, I'm confused yeah. by it. <laughs> I mean, it's great that he yeah. likes to talk about Toronto so much. But like, you know, he, he can exist. I just will ignore him. And that's how I'm going to go.
2: Oh, dang. There you go. So I guess we're not going to see like a a Drake-themed rhizozine anytime soon from you. (laughs) No, but maybe. No,
1: but someone should do that who, you know, actually likes Drake because that's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Looking at you, MS Harkness. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Our local Drake simp, MS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
1: A non-Canadian Drake simp? Is there such a thing?
2: America loves Drake. Oh yeah, they like they love for him, him
0: being a borderline pedophile. They love Drake. Yeah, um, okay. well, this country that loves pedophiles weird? to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look at Woody Allen. Yeah.
1: That's true. Maybe that's why he's not as, like, liked here, where we're like, that guy's really sus. Like, "Mm, yeah, no.
2: Unless you're, like, outright assaulting little girls, then, you know, and maybe in that case, go to France and you'll be fine. But in the US, (laughs) as long as you're doing soft pedophilia, you're cool still. No. That's
0: (laughs) fine. That's acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Awful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Except for R. Kelly. uh, He was not immune to that, I found. Yeah, he that
0: just went was to, thank very God he surprising. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised too. You know, I figured, but I'm glad they threw the book at him. I mean, it, you know, you yeah, get that dude for like 20 years from those yeah, high school holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> they
2: cannot yeah, help themselves. Yeah, but himself. you know,
1: it's just like half the time you hear about these kind of cases. It's like this man did the worst things possible. He was fined. $2. So yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was very surprised to see him like actually found guilty. And it's like, he is going away now. I'm like, wow, sometimes mm-hmm. you do have to pay for your crimes, I guess.
2: Yeah. Sometimes. It's luck of the draw or something yeah, to that yeah. effect.
0: Once they made the lifetime movie about him, it was over though. Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. All the yeah. Hallmark moms watched it and they were yep. very yeah. enraged. The right petition we
0: started so. to fly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I do want to talk a little bit about your process, though. Let's get into process talk a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. So, here we go. Yeah. Do you like marinate on an idea for a long time before putting pen to paper? or Do you kind of go into making comics with an idea and kind of wing it? How do you usually approach projects?
1: Um, I think I definitely kind of for most of my projects, I usually just kind of winged it. Like I had this idea and I would just kind of sit down and do thumbnails and kind of decide like, OK, what do I want to happen? And the dialogue would kind of come, you know, later on. Uh, it was usually like a very half hazard kind of like manic process which was never really good for my you know sleep habits but Doing this graphic novel, it's definitely been like I had, you know, a nugget of an idea. And then as I had to keep going through the script revisions with my editor, it got more and more and more refined. And then even, you know, inking the book, I definitely would be like, oh, well, this panel would be better if I did it this way or this dialogue can be replaced for this. So it's definitely like a mix. I did used to always just kind of do things on the fly, but I find that having a bit more, I guess, patience really pays off to Mm -hmm. making a better story at this point.
0: No, I agree with that. Yeah. And I think that's just something that you learn, you know, as you go, you know, you spend a little bit more time here and there. So with this new book, what's the percentage you'd say you're done on it? Like, are you halfway done? A little less, a little more?
1: I would say I'm like two thirds done because I'm just finishing all the inks now and now I have to color the book. But I have someone doing the flats, Jason Fisher. So that's been super helpful because it really cuts down on the time. But yeah, so, you know, the lion's share is done at this point, because the drawing and the inking is definitely the most laborious part. Mm -hmm. And now the coloring will be a lot faster. So yeah, I'm, I'm really close. I think I'm only probably two months away from being done now.
0: And it's coming out next year, right? 2022, if I'm not mistaken?
1: Yeah, it's going to be out next summer.
0: Okay. And so since you're pretty much done, what's like a a scheduled day, not a scheduled necessarily, but what's your daily schedule been like when you're working on this book or, you know, in general, I guess when you're making comics, do you like to stick to a regimented thing? Do you kind of just watch TV all day and you're like, oh, I guess it's time to work?
1: (laughs) I used to do that and I never got anything done. So I had to stop doing that. (laughs) Yeah, now I kind of, you know, wake up between like maybe eight and ten get myself out of bed, take vitamins. And then I start, you know, working on my page for the day, usually take a coffee break in the afternoon, make lunch, keep working on the page. And then I usually just take a break for dinner. And I'll usually go for a walk so that I, you know, don't have a heart attack and die in five years. Uh, And then I just like draw until the page is done. It usually takes me a day or two to finish an inked page from Top to bottom, just Mm -hmm. because, you know, sometimes the drawing comes really easily and sometimes you're like, I just have to draw a face, but I cannot get off my ass to do it. So it's like, you know, sometimes you just can't draw and you just kind of have to give up and say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. But I try to do five days of work freelance a week and try to bang out like at least five pages a week.
0: Hell yeah. Okay, hell yeah. And I know you mentioned you did work part-time at a comic store. Do you find it, I don't know if you're working in, like, a cool indie shop, but do you find it disheartening to see, like, the types of comics people are buying at the shop?
1: Yeah, I mean, we do have, like, you know, superhero books and the more, like, mainstream stuff we don't have singles at this point in time just because we kind of stopped carrying them because of covid because it was just like this huge expense and we weren't able to sell them right so i definitely feel like i get to see people come in who are excited about manga most of the time or you know like a new indie title sometimes you know a big four which is also fine yeah, I I think people are probably a little bit more jaded than I am. But we still mm-hmm. get, you know, people coming in being like, I have these spawn comics. Do you want to buy these spawn comics off <laughs> me? Or, you know, speculators who come in and they're like, I want to buy 10 of this issue number one of whatever random trash series. And we're just like, OK, sure, I guess. Have fun. It's not going to be worth anything
0: ever. <laughs> <laughs> so... This is just a personal thing, but like, you know, working on the retail side of comics, do you feel that informs your work at all, or do you still just do whatever the fuck you want to do without the consumer in mind?
1: That's a good question. I actually, yeah, I just do what I want to do, but maybe I should do that. Um, I definitely, you know, love working at a comic shop because I get to see what's coming out, Mm -hmm. and I love comics so much. So it's like, I get this great opportunity to take stuff home and to read new stuff and, you know, stuff that I wouldn't be able to afford. I can you know, borrow it and read it and be like, wow, I didn't think I would like that, but I really did like it. So it probably like informs my work in that way where it's just inspiring me with all the great things that are coming out. But I generally don't pay attention to, I guess, market trends or is maybe the word for it. That was like a really big thing in fashion. And I absolutely hated it. So I feel like I still have this like really strong aversion to it.
0: No, I totally get that. So you mentioned that, you know, you got out of, you know, the film and fashion world and landed in, you know, art and comics. Was that always your favorite part of that stuff? Because to me, I was the same way. I went to college for film, but my favorite part was storyboarding. And here I am. I'm Mm -hmm. nothing to do with film and I'm just making comics, you know. So was that always your favorite aspect of that stuff? Is that why you made the transition?
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, when I went to fashion school, the thing that I liked best was literally just like sitting down and like designing outfits and drawing them on people and, Mm -hmm. you know. I got to take life drawing and I took some painting classes, you know, to do fashion illustration. So those were the classes I did the best in and that I really enjoyed. But everything else like pattern drafting, sewing, textiles, marketing, I could not pay attention. I just hated it. But I guess at the time, I didn't really understand maybe that illustration was a job or I never really considered comics as a job because I didn't really know comics at that time in my life. Aside from kind of like manga or the big four. And then I think it was when I was in fashion school, I just started hitting up, you know, used bookstores when I was bored and found Optic Nerve and David Boring and, you know, the work of Julie Doucette and all these other Mm -hmm. underground cartoonists. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I didn't know there were comics like this. And, you know, from there, then I decided like, oh, this is probably something I could do as well. Like, maybe not as well, but like, this is so cool to see that it exists out in the world.
0: I agree. So, you grew up reading manga?
1: Yeah, mostly it was like the manga that was serialized through like Dark Horse. So, like Oh My Goddess when it was serialized as single yeah. issues. And I got like, you know, monthly magazines of An America Plus. Uh, I bought like boot like anime VHS that were recorded off Japanese television with fan subs. Oh wow! Yeah, in like downtown Toronto at the Chinatown market. But then I also, you know, I read X Men, I read Spider Man, Betty and Veronica, Mm -hmm. Sunday, you know, comics like Marmaduke, uh, Garfield, Mutt's, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I didn't find indie comics till I was older, and you know, Brampton didn't really have like a comic or zine scene at least. That I was aware of as a teenager. So that was not something I got to, you know, see until I moved to the city. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing in the world.
0: So were you how are you getting these comics, you know, at a younger age? Were they just making their way into your home? Were you seeking them out, going to the library?
1: Uh, So Betty and Veronica, that was just like at the corner store. Right. And my parents knew that I loved those comics. So they would just buy me like the double digests. Um, I started going to like comic conventions when I was a teenager. So I would buy back issues of, you know, Batman, Spider-Man and X-Men. Like I wouldn't even really know what part of the story it is. I would just literally buy random ones for like 25 cents and take Mm -hmm. them home (laughs) and read them and just try to make sense of them. And, you know, I was just always demanding my parents take me to Chinatown when I was younger to buy VHS tapes, and that's where I would get, like, the very limited amount of manga and the, oh my god, comics that were coming out at the time. But yeah, it was always, like, a real hunt to find those things back then, because it wasn't as, you know, now you can go into any bookstore and get a manga, but back then it was like you had to, like, go out and search for these rare items,
0: Definitely. Are there any, you know, current, like, titles that are going on that you're excited about? We don't really ever talk manga too much. Like, we talk about it in the sense of, like, you know, if a uh, cartoonist, you know, read it and, you know, what they were reading like we just did, but do you still follow it? Or are you into any series right now that are happening?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, right now I'm buying Asadora as it comes out by Erwasawa.
0: Love that. It's so good. It's, it's so good. It's so
1: good. I love it. I mean, I love all of his series, but mm-hmm. I was excited to be like, oh, a new one that's going to come out that I can follow. That's awesome. Yes, and I'm following the new Q Heyashida series, which is Die Dark. That's mm-hmm. the person who made Dora Hidoro, if you know it.
0: Yeah, I've got the first two. I don't know if the third one's out yet, but I've got the first two at the house.
1: Yeah, I think it's just two right now. Okay. And then I'm also reading Chainsaw Man. Oh, yeah. As everyone is, which is really fantastic. I
0: hear that's good, but you can't find it here.
1: Yeah, it's actually out of print now, I think because of you know, all of this distribution stuff that's going on in the industry right, right now with paper taxes and the like. So it's going to get another print run. It's just everyone's waiting for it. Mm. So, like, if you see a copy of Chainsaw Man, you got to, like, buy it immediately because it's not going to be there soon. Mm-hmm. What else am I reading? Those are the big three manga I'm reading right now. i am also been reading Barefoot Gen because... Hate myself and I like to be sad, I guess.
0: But it's <laughs> yeah. like,
1: you know, it's old, but it's a masterclass uh-huh. in storytelling. Like, it's fantastic. Agreed. I can't recommend it yeah. enough. It will rip your heart out and stomp all over it, but it is worth it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've only read the first like two or three volumes. I need to finish that. But um, I've been kind of just waiting till I stumble across them in like used bookstores. But yeah, it's a really powerful comic, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah, uh, that's been the same for me. I'm just picking it up whenever I can find it, you know, at a thrift shop. But you know, I think people probably don't pawn it very often because it's so good. But Mm -hmm. I have a couple of volumes at this point. so. I'll probably Hell finish yeah. it at some point. Oh, and then um, I finished this, you know, eons ago, but Maison Kaku is coming out in new. Oh, my God. Yeah. Perfect editions from Viz, which is so exciting because it's one of my absolute favorite series. It's criminally underread, So it's great to see that it has like this fancy new edition and there's going to be like new people engaging with it.
0: Yeah, I've been, you know, buying them as they come out. And uh, because, you know, those books come out like every four months, I only Mm -hmm. let myself read a chapter before bed. Like I actually stretch those books out as long as I can. It sucks because I want to read more. But uh, yeah, I was trying to watch the anime. It's not streaming anywhere here in the States. And like the box sets are like $300. So I found a couple episodes on YouTube. But yeah, I love that book. It's got such a great tone and it's so funny. Drawings are incredible, of course, because, you know, it's uh, Rumiko Takahashi. But, you know, that goes without saying.
1: Yeah, her art is just so, like, lively and energetic and fun. Like, I love everything she does. But, like, I think Meza Nukaku is actually the first thing I ever read because there was, like, a special, you know, strip of it in um, America and America Plus when I was young. So I actually read that before, like, Ramna, before Inu Yasha, any of that. So it has a really special place in my heart. But it's also just such a great story. The characters are so well done. And, you know, it's about relationships and the way that your own flaws can hinder them or just how being indecisive can impact your life in such a negative way. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so good. And I love it. And I I try to, like, force it on anyone who comes into the comic shop. And I haven't really been successful as of yet because I think <laughs> it's a bit of a hard sell. But it is such a fantastic series.
0: I agree. I know there's, like, you know, tons of volumes. But are these new volumes, like, two-in-ones?
1: I think they are, like, judging by the thickness. And I think Mm -hmm. the series has maybe, like, I feel like it's 20 volumes.
0: Okay, so there's probably going to be, like, 10 to 12 of these perfect bound things. 10 if they're doing two. Okay, so they're, yeah. I think it's probably my favorite series that uh, she's done. I've only read that in Ranma, and, like, I've got, like, a couple odds and ends, like Mermaid Saga and stuff. But I definitely think uh, Maison is the best one, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I do love Ranma a lot, but I do feel like it gets a little repetitive once mm-hmm. it gets a couple volumes in where it's just you know the same thing kind of happening over and over again right. and it's like okay like it's fun and yeah I like the gags but it's not like as I guess I don't know not as interesting as Maison which is you know actually has like a story and an end and character development and I mean Ranma has those things too but it's definitely more like oh wacky hijinks for like 30 volumes
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Have y'all ever heard of uh, Naruto? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's a manga. Dude, so my dad...
0: <laughs> Yeah, I was wearing a Naruto shirt for like, I wore it twice without knowing and then a dude told me uh, when I was at the mall because it just said like, I forget the name, but it was like something ramen shop and it was just a black shirt that had a pocket print that had the name of the ramen shop in uh, Naruto and it had like the ramen shop logo on the back and I just, my dad was just like, yeah, I found this ramen shop, you know, shirt and I got them for us. I was like, oh, cool. So, I wore it and then somebody told me it was a Naruto shirt and I was like, oh, I'm never wearing this thing again. Like (laughs) No! (laughs) not that i have anything against it or anything i just haven't watched it and um i just you know the only thing i know about naruto is like the naruto run and everybody gets clowned in america for doing that in high school (laughs) (laughs)
1: oh that's amazing i love that story though you should still wear that shirt
0: (laughs) i just haven't watched it either so i feel like a poser in a way (laughs) Or read it. I guess it was a comic first, but yeah. So I still have it. It's in the closet. I just haven't worn it yet. Again, You can just
1: pretend that you've watched it or read it. Just be like, yeah, I love Naruto and I love ninjas and I love when they fight. And I love the the homoerotic subtext.
0: Yeah, in America, people will just punish you with questions if they find you in anime merch. Um. (laughs) Oh, it's the
1: same here. It's just, you know, I feel like Naruto is one of those things that we've absorbed through like pop culture osmosis where everyone Mm kind of knows a little bit about it. Like I've never seen it either or watched it, but um, Mm -hmm. I definitely know like enough about it where I feel like if someone cornered me, I could bullshit well enough to maybe make them think i saw at least one or two episodes right yeah
2: hell yeah all right so as per usual we have some listener questions uh to go ahead and throw at jen if you want to participate and send us questions to our guests, you can always send us an email at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow our Instagram account at gutterboyspod. We usually post it up in our stories. Anytime that we have a guest on, you can send in your questions that way. Or you can send it to us uh, via the Discord. The Gutter Boys Discord is open to all. Uh, just no snitches, no cops. Thank you. Uh, just send us a DM if you want in.
0: Yeah, and also, I've been a little bit behind on checking DMs, so some of you that have been waiting for Discord invites, I did circle around and got everybody, um, but if I take a few days, I'm sorry. I just haven't been on my phone as much. How dare you? Yeah. But yeah, just uh, if, if we don't get to you, just say, please, can I get in again? And it'll go to the top of our messages. <laughs> um, <laughs> you won't be bothering us. But um, yeah, first yeah. question came from friend of the show uh, on Instagram. Cole Tundra Wizard asked, what's their favorite maritime sea shanty?
1: <laughs> Cole! is so great uh we just traded some comics earlier this year and i really really love pizza punks my favorite newfoundland sea shanties probably the banks of newfoundland that's a classic um probably the maid on the shore by stan rogers and then i don't think this is a newfoundland specific one but that one that you know was all over tiktok last year the wellerman
0: i'm not familiar maybe if i heard it
1: if you heard it i'm sure you would be like oh yeah the tiktok one um, but that's another really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from the, well, my family is from the East Coast, from Newfoundland, so.
2: Hell yeah. Okay, Instagram user Clusterfux Comics asked, any more volumes of Magical Beatdown on the horizon?
1: Yeah, definitely. As soon as I'm done my graphic novel, my next project is I'm doing Beatdown 3, which I've been, like, percolating in my brain for the last couple years it's just been like you know trying to get this book finished trying to get all this other stuff finished and now I will finally have some free time and I can finally do Beatdown three because I do get asked about it a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm like I promise I'm going to do it I just need to finish this other thing first and then I will make you your new gory swear magical Girl, book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are you planning on keeping the same like uh, size, format, and color uh, schemes?
1: Yeah, I think so. And then I think you know, eventually down the line, I've been talking with uh, Silver Sprocket about doing like a collected like edition, but that's probably going to be sometime in the future.
0: There you go. Very cool. Is three going to be the end of it? Is it a trilogy?
1: No, I'll probably keep going. I'm just going to keep doing it until I don't want to anymore.
0: Hell yeah. Very sick. Mm -hmm. All right. As as a follow up to that, P. Noonan on Instagram said, what do you think pushed artists to reinvent the magical girl aesthetic so much lately?
1: Hmm, I think it's probably because at least for me, you know, like one of the first shows that really resonated with me growing up was Sailor Moon, which I think started airing when I was 12 years old. So I feel like you just have this entire generation of people who grew up watching, you know, Cardcaptor Sakura, Sailor Moon, those are like the big two in North America that come to mind, mm-hmm. and probably just want to like, bring that aesthetic or themes or kind of, you know, do a satirical take and bring that into the work that they're making now. Because I mean, you can see how much manga and anime has had like this huge influence in North American artists now, like you can just be like, oh, that person grew up watching anime, that person grew up watching anime. So it's not really surprising to see like the things that influenced us as kids being, you know, the topic that's going to be for new work that we see coming.
0: Mm -hmm. So this is kind of backtracking to, you know, personal preference, but do you prefer reading manga or do you prefer watching the anime adaptation that comes out?
1: For the most part, I do prefer manga. (laughs) When it comes to Sailor Moon, I do like the anime better than the manga Mm -hmm. because the manga is very like beat, beat, beat. Like, you know, Sailor Moon is here. She meets Sailor Mercury. She meets Mars, Jupiter, Venus. They go fight Queen Beryl. They die the end whereas the anime you know pads it out because they needed to kind of create time for the writer of the manga to keep making stories so there's a lot more opportunity for like character development and gags and humor and the director of sailor moon is the same person who directed so that same sensibility can be seen in both series and they're both absolutely amazing okay so i prefer the anime to the manga as well but for the most part i do prefer to read the manga
0: yeah, same. But yeah, like you mm-hmm. said, there's always the exception of the rules. So I totally get that. Hell yeah.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you just get the right director who's able to take that material and like elevate it even more.
0: So, you know, I'm very, you know, surface level. I read a lot of manga, but as far as like with anime, I don't watch too much of it just because it's a time thing. I don't watch much TV at all. Yeah. Do directors of like series get followings kind of like they do in North America?
1: Yeah, some of them do. I mean, like the biggest one that I can think of is Hideki Ano, who did Evangelion. I think even here he has like a huge cult following. And in Japan, Mm -hmm. the name is escaping me right now for the director of Utena. But I know that there's a lot of people who are really obsessed with his work. Oh, it's uh, Kunihiko Ikuhara. There's probably some other ones. I honestly don't get to watch as much anime as I used to. Mm-hmm. So those are the only two that really stick out for me. I don't feel like it's as common as it is here, but if I was more like into the anime scene, I would probably be able to answer that better.
2: Okay. Hell yeah. All right. From the Discord, Jay Griffith asked, is there any planning that goes into the Magical Beatdown stuff or is it all instinct?
1: The Magical Beatdown series is definitely just like instinct. <laughs> I think I did the first comic in like two weeks Damn. and then I did volume two in a month, which yeah, was our, a really those are pretty
0: sizable <laughs> for two yeah, weeks. That
1: was a month without a lot of uh, sleep. It was definitely like a very, I don't know, something like possessed my brain and just made me like work nonstop for a month. But yeah, they're definitely just like sit down and just like, plot it out and just kind of go with the flow, I guess. Uh, we'll see what happens for three, though, because I feel like I've, I'm less of a, a reckless dumbass with her health at this point. So <laughs> I'm probably not going to do that again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's probably for the best. Mm-hmm. I, did, I did actually want to circle back on one thing, uh, and it's that uh, your working relationship with uh, Silver Sprocket. So how did you uh, get uh, mixed up with these uh, these kids, huh?
1: Um, so I went to SPX in 2015. Oh, okay. Um, so me and my partner, Trevor, went down and we tabled together, so like, you know, selling our zines and prints and things. And then I think someone from their table came over and bought a bunch of stuff and brought it back to the silver sprocket table. And then Avi came over, you know, and was like, oh, I love your stuff. I'd love to work together. And I was like, okay, cool. And I think the first thing we did is they released um, some enamel pins I designed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think at first they were like, oh, we want to publish and distribute Magical Beatdown. But I think I was really cagey at the time. And I was like, I don't know. Because, you know, I, I'm just a weird person who's like, I don't want you to publish my baby. I don't know what you'll do with it. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then eventually I relented. And it's been like a super great relationship. I think I just like didn't really understand how it worked back then. So I was feeling very like, no, this is my comic that I self-publish and I want to control it. And like, thanks anyways, but bye But, you know... It was just like that chance meeting at SPX. And, you know, they've done so much for me. And they're such a great pillar of like the indie comic scene. I love Silver Sprocket so much. They put so much good stuff out into the world. And like, they're so transparent about the way that they do business and, you know, paying out people. I really feel like more publishers should kind of look to them for the way that they should approach the collaborative process with artists. But Yeah, it was like a very fortunate meeting at that one faithful SPX, because I feel like they're the reason that my career has gotten to the place that it has, because they kind of gave me that like boost up where before that I was just, you know, this little artist in Toronto who was like paying money when I can to take a bus to different shows in the US to sell people my comics. But they definitely got me like way more reach by distributing them.
2: Awesome. Yeah, they're
0: a great publisher. Everybody has great things to say about them. Friends of the show. Uh, Obby mm-hmm. rocks. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Obby. You know, big, uh, big supporter of the pod. So, you know. Yeah.
1: Yes, of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no, they've yeah. got just like a hell of a roster. Silver Sprocket does. Yeah. You know, yeah, the whole gang of everybody putting books out over there. You know, it's just really
2: impressive track record. Mm-hmm. And also getting a lot of small press people in the direct market, which is kind of uncommon. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of years ago when they Finally, we're like, we are going to have diamond distribution. And that was like such a big deal because now comic shops could easily order titles from them instead of like emailing them and saying, hey, I want to order this because, you know, working at a comic shop, you know, there are a lot of indie books we carry, but it can be such a pain to like email those people individually. It can be very Mm -hmm. hard to remember, but being able to just like place it as part of your diamond order, that makes it so much easier.
2: Yeah. No, yeah, definitely, 100%. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It definitely gets their work out there to more people than they ever potentially would have. So, you know, that among other things, I mean, Silver Sprocket's doing great things for a small press. So, big shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I guess that about does it. Jen, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I'm glad we finally got to have you on.
1: Yes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out. I... <laughs> Sorry if I am um, talking too much or rambling. No, I definitely like out. haven't been uh, talking to many people the last couple months, so I've forgotten how to like conversate with people. <laughs>
2: No, you're no, doing you're- great. I mean, we definitely ran into that when we were at the cabin. It's like, oh right, like uh, socializing. This is how, how you socialize. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah,
1: it's so awkward now with COVID and just like meeting people again after being inside. It's like, how are you? The weather is nice, and you just don't even know what to say aside from that.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, the world's still falling apart, huh? Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> talk to you and in another year. That's just too
1: depressing to get into. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, but where can people find you online if they want to, you know, ooh, yeah. where can people find you online if they want to follow your work?
1: Uh, so on Instagram, I'm funeral beat, like the dead person ceremony and beat as in musical beat. Uh, and then Twitter, it's just Jen underscore Woodall. And you know, my website's just Jenwoodall.com. And then, um, if you want to like check out my comics and stuff, the best way to get a hold of them is just to buy them through Silver Sprocket.
0: Hey. Which is available in every United States comic store. Just ask yes. to order yes. it. Or
2: you can order and them
1: directly. Canadian ones, too. That's right. Or directly.
0: There you go. <laughs> and Silver Frog has a brick and mortar. Uh, so, you know, if you're in San Francisco, stop by the shop.
1: Yeah, I really hope I can finally get out there in the next year or two to see it in person. Because it feels very unfair that I haven't been able to.
0: Yeah, it seems like a cool place. Never been, but it seems awesome from like the photos I've seen and,
2: you know, what they seem to stock yeah, yeah they, uh, they always
1: have like cool book launches and art events and stuff
2: and they got oh, a new yeah. location right like they recently moved
1: yeah i think they've moved twice so this i think is their third location if i remember right oh okay, uh, okay. Yeah.
2: yeah that makes sense sf i'd imagine property costs and shit that stuff uh
1: <laughs> yeah in san francisco i can't even oh
0: yeah, yeah are the tech bad. bros taking over san francisco too years ago decades ago i didn't know if it was like oakland only or whatever yeah they were the first to fall (laughs)
2: trust me Mm, mm, mm.
0: yeah
1: i think san francisco is like pretty notorious for being one of the most expensive cities to live in in the u.s now
2: you love to see it definitely yeah i love that yeah i love
1: gentrification
2: hell yeah support big tech guys come on yeah.
1: Support capitalism.
2: <laughs> we love capitalism here on the Gutter Boys.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet someone's gonna like cut that voice clip out and cancel me. <laughs> 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 they're,
2: they're, they're,
0: they're too busy trying to cancel us first. Don't yeah, worry. No, you're good. <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah. <laughs>
1: The only way to really get rid of the fear of being canceled is to laugh at the fact that you might potentially be canceled. Yes,
2: oh, laugh in the face of much danger. our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's worked out pretty good, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I, it seems like it, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: thanks for making the show good, Jen. We definitely appreciate it. It's yeah, you know, the real. guests that really save our asses, to be honest. Uh,
2: yourself included.
1: Awesome. <laughs> uh, Thank you for having me. It was super great.
2: Yeah, so uh, thanks for listening and stay gutter.